Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. Almost got a little bit ahead of myself. I almost said good Friday afternoon. No, it's not Friday yet. Week is going by pretty quickly, but one day a little early on my part. It's good to be with you on this Thursday afternoon. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. We've got a ton of... To get to this afternoon, we had two baseball games, a basketball game we've got to get to. We've got a basketball game tonight. We've got basketball over the weekend. We had a major injury in college basketball from a national perspective last night and a whole lot more coming your way. You can text the show 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line and all guests will appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Guys, putting the notes together today is almost exhausting because I don't even know where to begin, I don't know where to start, and I don't know if we have enough time to get to it all. Nevertheless, good Thursday afternoon to you. You can speak for yourself on that week's going by fast thing, sir. Opposite for you? Oh my gosh, you know, I'm doing the Mr. Mom thing again. My wife's out of the country on business. and Out of the country? Where is she? Are you allowed to say? She's on a she's on a top secret message. No, she's in El Salvador. <laughs> oh wow! Do you mind me asking what for? Uh, yeah. Well, the company she works for has factories down there. She has to go and inspect them. Okay, so it's not like the the Luke Johnson ever secretive trip no, to no. Asia thing. No, she's just working. Rippy, how's your Thursday? Pretty good. I don't think it's ever going to stop raining here. I, I think it's rained for five straight days now i mean it started sunday with the baseball washout and i I literally don't think it stopped since i don't really know what the sun looks like it came out for a good second last night yes that's true it did for like a brief second at the baseball game it was sunny until the sun went down and it dropped to 40 degrees meaning it's 25 on the field at swayze why is that I think it's because you know if you ever look at like you know the general landscape around the stadium, it's kind of in a hole, and so I'm guessing that just makes it colder down there. I don't know if that's backed up by science at all, but that's that's the theory I'm going with right now. But it is definitely 15 degrees colder down there than anywhere else in the town. And on that note, Ole Miss got a big win, and I I mean big only in the sense that the score. Uh, was big over Arkansas State last night. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on today. The biggest sports story of the day that we will get into at the top of the 4 o'clock hour was Zion Williamson, the consensus uh, number one overall recruit in high school last year, the best player, the most exciting player at least, in college basketball, a freak athlete, the definite 
number one overall pick, literally ran through one of his shoes 30 seconds into their game against North Carolina last night, sprained his knee. At the time, it looked like it could have been worse. It's just a sprain, but he ran through his Nike shoe. It looked like it exploded, seriously. It just ripped from heel to front, and his foot went right through his shoe, hurting his knee last night, only played 30 seconds of the game. He's going to be out for an undetermined amount of time. It could have been a lot worse, and there are a lot of things that come from that. One, should he be playing college basketball at all? Do we need to change the one-and-done rule? I say yes. These guys may disagree. We'll debate that later. And two, should he come back and play when healthy? We'll debate that and talk about that to start the 4 o'clock hour. Mississippi State got a... It was a must-win game in a sense that they couldn't lose to Georgia last night. Had a funky ending, but got the win that they needed, hey, Dad. And it's just one of those, you win, doesn't matter what the game looked like, just put the W next to that game and move on and be happy about it. You cannot lose games and win them in the SEC. <laughs> and that's that's what MSU did last night. They did not lose, they won. Which is really all that mattered. Yeah, I heard a lot of people like, oh, State almost lost that game. Do you know what the synonym for almost lost is? Won. (laughs) Won the game. Yeah, Lamar Peters was rough last night. He's kind of had a string uh, of unfortunate games. We'll dive into that here in about 10 minutes from right now. Uh, On the baseball front, Mississippi State was shut down by a former Bulldog for the better part of last night's game against UAB, but Jake Mangum did Grandpa Jake Mangum things, came through in the clutch, and they won their midweek over UAB last night. Yeah, uh, former Bulldog Graham Ashcraft uh, left with a no-hitter intact, five and two-thirds of no-hit ball. Uh, But like you mentioned, I've never been more confident of anything than when Mangum came up to bat with state losing and two men on base, I would have bet my house, your house, whatever Rippy lives in, I would have bet it all on Mangum coming through there. One of you guys on the beat, I was watching the game and following along on Twitter at the same time, which is dumb because Twitter happens before the game does when you're streaming it on the Watch ESPN app. So I know what happens before it actually does happen. But one of you guys on the beat said something like, Jake Mangum's up. You want to guess what's about to happen? And like clockwork, he hits the game-winning, ultimately the game-winning hit, and sealed the win last night. Yeah, it might have been me. I mean, I I know that I was supremely confident. I mean, that guy, when he comes to the plate in clutch situations, he delivers. That's just what he does. It's it's part of his DNA, however you want to put it. And uh, whatever sports cliche there is. Well, look at – No surprise. We'll look at this weekend in baseball. In the state of Mississippi, Southern Miss goes to Mississippi State in a huge in-state series uh, for Southern Miss, a big-time resume builder. And if we're being honest for both teams, an early mark on your resume if you can win this series for postseason positioning and just Mississippi State, Southern Miss getting together to play is always going to be a big deal here. Uh, Ole Miss will travel to New Orleans and play Tulane this weekend, and uh, it just so happens to be the start of parade season. Uh, so hopefully all the players kind of stay true to curfew on Friday and Saturday night when they're in New Orleans. Yeah, I I guess easier said than done, but I don't think they'll have too much issue with that with you know playing three days in a row. There's 
I mean, there's a lot of great places in the country, but it would be hard to be staying in uptown New Orleans. I mean, the, the area around the Tulane campus is beautiful. I mean, big homes and big trees and, and just awesome places during the first weekend of parade season. I don't in know Tulane, if I'd want to be anywhere else. No, and Tulane's campus in general is just kind of fantastic. It's it's really enjoyable to walk around. State has a uh, a football series with them. I think it starts next year. I could be wrong, but that they're actually playing at Tulane, in, not in the Superdome, in, in their on-campus stadium. And oh, wow. I'm very much looking forward to that. Well, they'll pack that place out. because I mean, it, New Orleans is great altogether, but everybody says you got to go to the French Quarter and you, know, you got to check out Bourbon know. Street. No, you don't. No, you don't. Take a, a trolley down St. Charles and go uptown and spend all your time out there. I, I have – there is no – better place to hang out for a weekend, in my opinion, than in uptown New Orleans. I absolutely love it there, and I'm jealous of uh, the Ole Miss fans making the trip to Tulane this weekend. Uh, Also coming up on the show today, the Big Ten is actually beating the SEC in something in relation to college football. I'll tell you what that is coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We'll we'll go ahead and start previewing and, and looking ahead to Saturday's slate in the SEC. We've got Bracketology uh, that has just come out, the updated net rankings and SEC conference standings because positioning in the SEC tournament is going to be critical uh, for, uh, what is it, three weeks from now? I mean, we're, we're coming down to the wire here. And if Ole Miss especially, I think Mississippi State with their remaining schedule and their metrics don't really need to you know, secure a double bye and make a, a bunch of noise in, in Nashville, but if Ole Miss can secure that top four seed and get the double bye, I think that's huge for them. So uh, upcoming stuff um, with college basketball also on the show. We'll take a deeper dive in the Manny Machado trade. Uh, I say trade, the free agency of Manny Machado. If it's good for Major League Baseball, what it means for Bryce Harper and, and maybe small markets uh, around the major leagues. An NBA team, I'm not kidding, is blaming Fortnite on them struggling this season. Not joking. And a whole lot more coming your way. So a loaded show for you this afternoon. You can text us, as a few of you have, uh, 601-879-4395. And you can tweet at the show, at Sports Talk Miss. Sports Talk M-I-S-S. I guess the only one here, since Richard's off, that has kids is, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, your kid's blaming video games on getting bad grades in school? No. It hasn't happened yet. No, it will not happen either. <laughs> Could you imagine a professional sports team, a couple players, when their coach asked why they played poorly? It's because I was up till 3 a.m. playing Fortnite. When you say professional sports team, well, it's the, the New Knicks York Knicks, really so I don't know. Don't really count. <laughs> and it is a bunch of kids. Like, that's a really young team aside from a couple yeah. pieces. For sure. Well, we're going to turn the page and start looking at Mississippi State and Georgia hoops last night. A wild ending in Athens. Mississippi State does secure the win. We will break that down next at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. You can text the show 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line, but please do so safely. Do not text and drive, but be a part of the show this afternoon. 
We'll start with basketball. A bizarre finish. We'll get to that in a second. We'll talk about the, the meat of the game first before we look at what happened there at the end of the game. Mississippi State gets a win. Goes to one game above 500 in SEC play with a 7-6. Seven, a seven to six. That's their conference record. A 68-67 win over Georgia. A game that it, it was tight and then Mississippi State closed the half on a 13-0 run and then took that and ran with it until Georgia pushed them late, made the right plays when they needed to late in the ball game. Q Weatherspoon, who was excellent all night long, sealed the game with a free throw, and Mississippi State gets a win that they could not afford to not get at this juncture, considering where Georgia is in the metrics. So, hey, Dad, um, let's start just overall with the win, a game they needed. It's not going to help them at all, but now that game won't hurt them at all. Right, right. And, and, you know, it's a game that I tweeted about this. The new press box at MSU, I was able to actually watch the game. There's, there's a TV in there. There's four or five TVs in there. Hey, how about that? Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. So, of what I saw, you're right. You know, I saw that the game was very tight in the, uh, in the early going. And then State goes on a run. And they're up 17 in the uh, second half, in the early goings of the second half. And, I, you know... I sort of got the impression, okay, they're about to run away with this. Q Weatherspoon was playing incredibly, incredibly well. He was 11 of 13 shooting at one point. Uh, but Georgia just made a run. It, it sort of reminded me a little bit of what I saw of the Ole Miss-South Carolina game, but from the different approach. Ole Miss got behind and couldn't dig out. State got ahead and had to hold on for dear life. And that's what they did. And you do have that that bizarre ending, which – is getting a little overblown, in my well, opinion. Well, people are but. getting it wrong, hey, Dad. It, so, uh, let's just go to it right now. Uh, Q Weatherspoon, in a tie game, gets fouled in the act of shooting. I don't think it matters because he was going to the line anyway. Uh, gets right. fouled with .5 seconds left in the game. He misses the first free throw. And after mm-hmm. he misses the first free throw, something was thrown onto the court. It, it turns out to be a stuffed... Like, like a stuffed animal, a Georgia Bulldog, was thrown onto the court. He still had another free throw from the right. original foul in which he made. But the throwing of the stuffed animal on the court gave him an additional free throw because of a technical foul, which allowed him to miss it on purpose to where Georgia couldn't set anything up. So you have people talking today as if, the throwing of the stuffed animal gave him an additional free throw. That is not what happened. He missed the right. first one, but he had the second one, which he made before purposefully missing the technical free throw to seal well, the game. You got it backwards. He made the technical free throw. And oh, then they did the technical first shot. and then the foul shot. Right. But regardless, he had a another another free throw coming. And then you know, so many people, and there's somebody on, on the uh, – the, the, the Twitter feed here saying, how can you prove a UGA fan? Are we supposed to believe that an MSU fan snuck in, or not snuck in, brought in a stuffed animal and said, just in case somebody misses a critical free throw in the closing seconds, I have this ready to chunk on the court and pretend that a Georgia fan threw it and there will be a technical foul call. That's a lot of foresight. 
Yeah, I did. I did ahead. see this point made on Twitter last night, though, and it was Gary Parish is a good point. So, like, forget the teams and forget the scenario. What, like, what is there? Like, what is preventing in another game? Like, say it was I, I don't know. Like St. John's Villanova, and that came down the wire. That just came comes to mind a game I'm watching Sunday. Like a Villanova fan in the Garden, they get in a dire situation. What is to stop them in that situation? Since it is technical from throwing something on the court and getting a technical called on St. John's. I'm not saying like. That in like a conspiracy theory way, but like what is stopping that? I think it's kind of a bizarre rule. Yeah, and that's a good point. And that for I first thought it was a kid. I mean, because who has a stuffed Georgia bulldog? Were they giving away stuffed animals? I don't know. I, I, I because truly if they're don't. not, what we have to assume is that a parent took their child's toy and threw it on the court. I'm sorry, honey. Give me Bobo the Bulldog. I'm really mad about this free throw. But what is preventing that from changing the outcome of games in the future? Like if because if it was interesting because like you 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 penalize the home team. I get that because it's mo- mainly their crowd. But like, what stops that from altering the outcome of a game in the future with some crazed fan just throwing something on the court to get an additional free throw? I mean, I see what you're saying, but how many times is it? rule come into effect i mean well, that's I my point but now that somebody now that somebody's seen it like what is that yeah. to, what is stopping oh, yeah, so that this from is having the first time i've seen that i've seen it happen before but well the thing I, I is don't, i don't think go ahead i don't think fans are going to go okay now that this loophole is available to me i'm going to start throwing things on the court when needed well the yes thing, because fans are very rational and think <laughs> rational very <laughs> rational they they take everything into consideration but it is an interesting like like question to raise because there really isn't like the way the rules structured like there really isn't anything stopping from someone doing that. Yeah, which right. I don't think they should have given a technical foul there because and, and I've just done the warning. Yes, do do the in stadium warning. Please don't throw anything on the court. You will be ejected from the game. Thank you. Do that. I've seen that before. I mean. There, you remember, I can't remember what game it was, Rippy, but I remember when Marshall Henderson threw ice back at his own student section because somebody threw a drink on the court and he was mad that they did it. No technical uh, foul was assessed in that moment. They just did the, please don't throw anything on the court. That that should have happened last night as well. I, I don't like, and it didn't change the outcome of the game. Q made the right. second free throw and he missed the third on purpose. So th- this isn't taking Best the win case away. scenario... He makes the second free throw. Georgia has five-tenths of a second with no timeouts to get it up the court and get a shot off. Right, which is – I mean, 99.9% not happening. Virtually impossible. Yeah. But, uh, like, to your point, though, Borky, it's like the – probably like the quote-unquote fair thing to do there is just – not that it affected his first free throw, but to wave off the first free throw and then just let him have two again, right, instead of calling the technical. But to Howland's – to Howland's credit and Howland's shrewdness, he, he immediately stood up off the bench and was like, that's a technical, and kind of, not sold it, but kind of prompted it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean. Hey, that was good recognition. Coach, you gotta do what you gotta. I, I was Heads very surprised that that was not a uh, a second free throw. They didn't, they didn't give him the free throw back. I thought that might happen. but That's what I thought should have happened instead of a technical. For sure. Because I don't, I don't like handing a team – even though Mississippi State was winning regardless, I still don't like handing a team an additional shot to seal a game from something that that team or the play on the court, it, it, 
nothing they did had an impact on giving a free point. I just don't like the practice of a fan who was probably a child or somebody that had one too many actually impacting the outcome of the game on the court. It wouldn't have, but I don't even like the precedent that that sets to allow that to happen. And on the flip side of things, what a rough, what another rough break for Georgia, right? Because the foul itself was, I mean, it was, it was kind of bang, bang. It looked like he got some ball on it on the jump shot. It was a dumb foul to foul a jump shooter, but like, what a way to lose a game. Yeah, especially with the way they fought back. They've been finding ways to lose games all season. (laughs) I did like, maybe it's, Maybe I was just overanalyzing, but my goodness, every single basket in the second half Georgia made, these kids, when they were losing in the game, were like looking up in the crowd and stopping and like flexing their muscles and doing poses and stuff. It's like, get back on defense. Like the game is, it's a close game. And as Mississippi State's getting out and running, you're flexing to the crowd and posing for pictures. Like, stop that crap and go play. I, I I don't see... It was surprising to me that a coach well, as good as Tom Crean will let that happen, though. It's, it's, it's going to something that's going to change next year when they they'll have a whole new look very soon. Donald in Oxford says Hallen knows the rule book. George from West Point said he could hear on the radio the announcer telling people not to throw things on the floor after that happened. Hey, yeah, that's usually well, how Crean it goes. grabbed the microphone. Oh, did he really? Yeah, and it's like, hey, don't do that, don't do that. And it was too late. Was that, Borky, you were the only one that I think, or hey, Dad, you may have watched it live. Like, what did, was that jump shot of, like, did he foul him? It was a foul. Yeah, he got him. Yeah, you, it was a good call. You probably could have gotten away with not calling it, but the him calling it is absolutely fine. And, and Rip is right. It's a tie game, you know. Why don't foul? Why would you foul there? You got to contest it without fouling. I mean, you can't foul yeah. a jump shooter at the end of the game there, especially not Q Weatherspoon. But as you've said, that's why at the time they were one in eleven in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, there, there's a couple things that stand out in that game. One, Mississippi State got out rebounded by a pretty wide margin, although Georgia is the best rebounding team in the SEC. And where has Lamar Peters been? We'll continue on that. Flip the page over to baseball. A whole lot more coming your way at Sports Talk Mississippi, live in the Renaissance Bank studio. Here we go, back on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you this afternoon. Final thoughts on this Mississippi State win over Georgia. We're not going to spend too much time on a game in which they beat a 10-16 and 16 team. However, a glaring thing for Mississippi State basketball recently has been the absence of Lamar Peters, at least from a quality of play standpoint. Another bit of a clunker last night. He just had zero points, didn't make a shot, didn't go to the free throw line. Obviously, didn't make a shot. I had a couple of turnovers, did have two steals and two assists and two rebounds, but just another pedestrian, putting it mildly, another pedestrian performance in 30 minutes for him last night. Yeah, he has is, is struggled, I guess is the right word. Uh, he's only had, I mean, I'm checking my, my stats here. He's been in double figures uh, twice in the last one, two, three, four, six games. He's got two zeros 
in there. He had no points against LSU, no points against Georgia, uh, only nine against Ole Miss, only five against Arkansas. And you know, the Ole Miss game was after the game, Howland told us he had, he had sprained a wrist that week. And I don't know if that's what's still bothering him or what, but on top of his shooting, you know, the rest of his game hasn't been that impressive. You look at last night, only two assists. He only has, uh, since the Kentucky game, he's only got uh, 10 assists in the last four games. And that goes with trying to do math as we talk here. So that's going to be, you know, interesting six, nine, 11 turnovers. So, I mean, not a, not a great ratio there. It's been really interesting to me because, in all honesty, Peters hasn't really played great all season. He's taken a – I don't know if it's a small step back, but he's taken a step back. Now, it pales in comparison to the step back that Eric Holman has taken. But those are two guys that State was planning and projecting to have big years this year. There, you know, We had seen some NBA draft projections that had Holman as a, as a second rounder. And you know there had been some that said Lamar Peters could be a, a guy to watch this year. And it just hasn't materialized. Gary Meridian says when Peters is unselfish, penetrates, and dishes the ball, the team wins. Your thoughts? That's, that's a fair assessment, but at the same time, he loses two or three assists a game because Holman or, or Abdullah Du is another known offender, can't handle the passes. But that said, in the last few games, I've noticed him getting almost – he gets to the rim – and he's just immediately looking to kick it out. You know, go up and and, and score and shoot and, and try to get fouled. Something he he's gotten away from the the aggressive nature. And he's it's hard, he's gotten away from being aggressive in terms of getting to the rim and scoring there. He's still aggressive with three pointers, and I would say too aggressive. He takes some bad shots. So the fact that State is winning with two of their starters that you expected to have a big year. And then Nick Weatherspoon is out. Abdul Adu hasn't really done much, although he's played better the last three or four games. I mean, you're basically doing this with Q, Reggie Perry, and then whatever you're getting from Tyson Carter and Robert Woodard. I love Reggie Perry. I, I mean, he's a pro. I, I mean, absolutely, he's going to play in the NBA. I, I would like to see him get more touches. I mean, start running some offense through him. I know he's still a freshman, and there there are times where he kind of flashes his youth. But man, he is just skilled at everything, yeah. and especially with the other Weatherspoon out for an extended period of time, presumably, and Lamar Peters kind of disappearing as of late. Start running some offense through a guy like Reggie Perry, who is just supremely skilled. Perry and Woodard are our future stars. Those guys are going to be, you know, when you're talking about next year, that's what MSU is going to be. I don't know if Lamar will be back or not. There's just a lot of, there's always been a lot of rumor mill around him that, you know, he just, he was ready to move forward. Uh, so, I mean, if you look at next season, probably Tyson Carter running the point, Nick Weatherspoon, I don't know. I don't know if he'll be back or not, but if he's not, you know, you've redshirted DJ Stewart. You've got bringing in a couple other guys, but Woodard and and Perry at the three and four next year, that's where State's going to be be effective, and those are the guys who are going to lead MSU if they're going to follow up on what appears to be an NCAA tournament berth coming this year. Let's put that on pause for now. We'll circle back to basketball later on in the show, but uh, another game that happened last night in the state of Mississippi: Ole Miss baseball beat up. 
on an overmatched Arkansas State team. The true freshman first-round draft pick, Gunnar Hoagland, got a start on the mound last night. Gave up a couple runs early, settled in in the second inning, and they did a Johnny Holstaff thing last night. Uh, Rippy, main takeaways other than that offense is still just really good uh, from that game last night. Well, I think the main story was seeing Hoagland for the first time. And as you mentioned, they, they pitched... Mike Bianco doesn't Johnny Holstaff games a lot, but it was one of those scenarios, and I think part of it was a byproduct of being rained out Sunday, is they needed to get a lot of guys pitching for the first time. And some of it was, you know, maybe do that instead of throw their midweek bullpen, but he needed a lot, get a lot of guys in game action. He did that. Hoagland struggled a little bit. He admitted the first couple batters he was kind of nervous. He was erratic with the fastball. Um, you know, gave up a couple runs. He did flip, he flipped over a, a three or four really just kind of plus breaking balls where you see that we're this, you know, it's kind of like, wow, okay, the stuff really is there. Um, but struggled a little bit, couldn't find his command, settled down a little bit later. What he gives up, I think he gave up three runs before getting it out and then gets three straight strikeouts to get out of the, or two runs, excuse me, and then three straight strikeouts to get out of the inning. And I believe, all three of those, I know two of them were on, on curveballs. So, you know, he did some good things, struggled a little bit, though, and, and, and admitted some of that was kind of nerves. And then after that, you saw Houston Roth throw two innings, who was pretty sharp in his own right. He said he felt, you know, he fell off the mound last week and missed opening weekend with the sprained AC joint in his non-throwing shoulder. Um, he went two innings and gave up a hit with four strikeouts and a walk, no earned runs. Um, said he felt pretty good, a little stiff afterward, but pitched without pain. Um, and then you saw some other guys get in after that, like Doug Nikhazy and, and a couple other guys that, that looked pretty sharp as well. So really after the first couple innings, they were, they were pretty good on the mound. And then, you know, obviously they were, they were, Arkansas State's pitching was overmatched against that offense. Yeah, 19 hits and 15 runs for Ole Miss. Greg Kessinger had three hits last night. Zavidio had a couple. Tyler Keenan is off to an excellent start. He had three hits last night. Thomas Dillard. Uh, what is he hitting right now? I know they've only played in three games, but it's somewhere in the 700s, if I remember off the top of my head, Olenek had four hits, Zabowski had three hits, uh, Chase Cockrell drove in a run, uh, Gindel had a hit. I mean, just uh, a evenly distributed offense where it, it might go faster if you just tell us who didn't have a hit. Okay, we'll do that. Dillard, I didn't have one. Dillard caught his first college game last night. That was kind of the other storyline going into it. And How was that? I thought he... I thought he did pretty well. He got tested early because Hoagland spiked a couple breaking balls in the dirt and a couple fastballs. Yeah, I, I asked him after the game about that. He was like, "Yeah, I didn't really, really have much time to get my feet wet. I was kind of tested out of the gate, but he did well. I, th- I mean, he he had a couple good blocks. I thought he received well. Um, wasn't really tested throwing the ball and like the pop time as far as anyone trying to run on him. But I, as from a receiving and a defense standpoint, I, I thought he did pretty well for never having caught a college game. It's one of those things where he's kind of stayed in tune with it by catching in the fall and and winter ball but but hasn't done it in a college game yet and you know they're going to need him back there i think he's going to end up being the second catcher you know behind cooper johnson so it was interesting to see that how what that looked like for the first time so is that just because they need a secondary option or do they anticipate maybe a switch just to get more bats in the lineup or is that Cooper Johnson's job, and, and they're just going to use Dillard as a reserve to keep him rested and healthy? 
Well, it's what they have behind Johnson is why they're doing that. They have a junior college transfer in Hunter Neighbors who got his first, I believe his first collegiate at bat last night, or his first Ole Miss at bat, I should say. And then you have a true freshman in Knox LaPoser who broke his foot in the fall, um, has made a full recovery from that, got an at bat in a pinch hit situation on opening day, lined out to right field, put, put pretty decent contact on it though, but, but, Mike likes to have kind of some experience behind the plate, whether that's experience as a hitter or a guy that's just been around the program for a while. So I, I think it's one of those things where obviously Cooper Johnson isn't going to catch all 58 games. And so I, I think Mike feels most comfortable with having a guy like Dillard back there as opposed to a newcomer. That may change if one of those two catchers that I mentioned a second ago kind of separates themselves at the plate maybe and, and he kind of has to get more bats to, then you might see that change. But I think it's just one of those things where Bianco feels more comfortable with Dillard back there as the secondary option. He's got a bit of a a conundrum, if that's even the appropriate word to use, with how he distributes at-bats, or if he can. I mean, they've got, from a hitting perspective, an embarrassment of riches. And, I mean, how do you adjust your lineup to get all of the bats you need onto the field? We'll discuss that next. Also flip the page over to Mississippi State, who got a win over UAB last night, a, a homecoming for two guys affiliated with that UAB team. We'll talk about that. We'll turn the page over to Zion Williamson's injury last night as well to start the 4 o'clock hour and a whole lot more coming your way at Sports Talk Mississippi live in the Renaissance Bank studio. All right, Rippy, let's finish up this conversation we were having before the break. The Ole Miss baseball lineup. Still early in the season. Nothing is set in stone, but offensively, They've got an issue, and I guess the issue is they have a lot of guys that can play offense, but how do you think they should fit it in while putting what they would hope is a good nine out there defensively? Well, I think you've reached the point to where I think he understands, and he being Bianco, that they're not going to have a great defensive outfield no matter really how you stack it up out there just from a personnel standpoint. But... I think that's kind of what he's going to figure out through these non-conference games. I think it's a little too early to tell because you're only three games in. So he's just going to have to figure out who kind of gives him the most consistent at-bats and and where they fit into the lineup. Because, I mean, they, they tried Chase Cockrell at right field for the second game of that Wright State series, I believe, and it it went okay, but he took a took a bad angle on a ball in a corner and, and kind of looked a little bit lost kind of with, with some fly balls. So it's 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 going to be an interesting balance to see how he kind of, like you said, balances out what what is his best you know defensive outfield versus getting the getting the right guys at bat. So I, I really don't know the answer to that at this point. I'm not sure he does either. And I think he's kind of hoping that, in addition to some of the bullpen roles, kind of fleshing themselves out through through this three or four week non conference stretch. And how much time do you think they'll he will realistically spend tinkering before they have something that they feel like is pretty solid, or will because there are, are so many guys? Will they ever be solid? SEC play. I, I think he'd like to have something something kind of straight by then, or at least some somewhat of a regular lineup. You know, depending on you know lefty righty who's going on the mound for the opponent that day. Uh, but some sort of regular lineup. But he, I mean, he's not scared to platoon guys. I mean, you've seen that at second base in the past. You've seen that some other places. So 
I, I don't think he's going to rush it by any means. I think he's just going to kind of see who who hits well. Because what, what are you actually talking about when you're talking about figuring things out? Thomas Dillard's going to be the left fielder unless he's catching. You know, Ryan Olenek's going to be in center field. It's really just a, kind of a matter of who's going to play right field, whether that's Elko, whether it's Gindel, whether you stick Cockrell every now and then to get someone else in it bad in the DH. And then the other thing is what how second base shakes out between Jacob Adams and Anthony Servidio. And I think he would like one of them to separate themselves pretty soon. Like I said a second ago, he's not really scared to platoon guys there. But if it's if it's Adams, Servidio gives you a defensive option in the outfield that you don't have out there. So, you know, how does that kind of play into the the right field mix as well? I don't know. It'll be interesting. And we'll talk about that more uh, going into their weekend series at Tulane. But turning the page right now, uh, hey, Dad, in Starkville, UAB out hits Mississippi State, but Mississippi State had the right hits and win a game against uh, old Ron Polk and a, a former player of theirs who was excellent last night. Yeah, it, it's so weird to see Polk in, in the green and gold of UAB as in that volunteer assistant role. And, of course, you know his one of his former assistants, Brian Shoup, is the head coach there. He's been there for many years. And then, like you mentioned, uh, Graham Ashcraft, former MSU pitcher who transferred out uh, after a, a two years where he just plagued with injuries here in Starkville, uh, comes over and he shows you why he was a, uh, a highly recruited guy, a guy who turned down uh, his position in the MLB draft coming out of high school to come to Starkville. Uh, was consistently mid-90s with his fastball in the early innings. Uh, and just really, really looked sharp. And like I said earlier in the show, he threw five and two-thirds of no-hit no hit baseball. Uh, State just they couldn't get the bats going last night uh, for whatever reason until the uh, the seventh inning where they – even then they, they weren't you know exactly striking the ball and getting a lot of uh, great shots – or shots like it's golf – great hits. But they got on base, and then when it had to be done, Jake Mangum delivered, and it was enough to what? win a 3-2 What? No a way. I know. You're kidding. Jake Mangum, that kid's not bad at baseball. And you wanted to cut him yesterday. <laughs> uh, you can't cut Grandpa Jake. He's he's grandfathered in. See, I think you're warming up to the nickname thing. I'm, I'm not, actually, but I'll just go with it there. I hope he doesn't hate it, because I would feel really bad if I'm up here giving a nickname that he truly doesn't like. Like, if he doesn't care or never finds out about it, that's fine, but... That if, seems more likely. Yeah, and, and I'll take that because I'm going to call him that for the rest of time, which uh, by the time I'm dead, maybe he will be a junior. But <laughs> at this point, when he steps up, man, and baseball is a game of failure, right? I mean, the best players in the world get a hit three out of ten times, but for some reason, when you need one, he delivers almost every time. It's remarkable what he's able to do when the moment actually matters. Yeah. Good pitching from MSU yesterday, too. I thought Peyton Plumley was solid. And then in relief, Riley Self and Cole Gordon. Those guys are really, really good. We'll, uh, we'll look ahead to what's coming up this weekend for Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Southern Miss. A big series here in the state. And then, like we said at the top, Ole Miss is going to New Orleans for parade weekend. It's pretty fitting. I imagine, but for right now, we are going going to turn the page to the biggest story in the sports world last night. Zion Williamson, the most exciting, the best college basketball player in the country, the future number one overall pick, shattered his shoe and hurt his knee. A lot of stuff to debate on that front, and we will do so next at Sports Talk Mississippi. 
in the Renaissance Bank studio. Four o'clock hour off and running on this Thursday afternoon at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Richard's off just for today. He'll be back tomorrow getting you ready for the weekend. Big weekend in sports. This was the story. Nationally, anyway, the story last night. Not even what happened in the game. The build-up to the game, Duke and North Carolina in Cameron Indoor last night was huge. It was one of the very few marquee basketball games leading up to it in the regular season that actually has justifiable billing. I mean, President Barack Obama was going to be there. Celebrities everywhere. It was, even despite the thing we're about to talk about, the third highest rated regular season college basketball game ever. Ever. You had people buying tickets for ten grand. The get-in price was $2,700. It was a massive deal. North Carolina at Duke. Zion Williamson specifically in Cameron Indoor last night. And 30 seconds, 33 to be exact, 33 seconds into the game, Zion Williamson with the ball attempts to make a cut and literally runs through one of his shoes. His shoe exploded from heel to toe. His foot slid out right underneath it. His knee buckled and he went down with an injury. He walked himself off the court, uh, was ruled out for the rest of the game, didn't come out of the locker room. His parents left the stands, went to the locker room. Most everybody presumed that it was going to be much worse than it actually is. It's a sprained knee, no structural damage, so he's going to be okay once the sprain goes away. But, I mean, guys, I don't even know where to begin. There are so many angles to take here. Just first, your general reaction to, on that stage, 30 seconds into it, a Nike shoe exploding on college basketball's marquee player on its marquee night, the third highest rated game ever in college basketball regular season. Yeah, this is like sports hot take heroin, right? Like, this is what gets Skip Bayless (laughs) hot and bothered in the morning. Like, it was a combination of, like, all the things that drive these just incredibly predictable talk shows it's it's whether the kid should continue playing while you know the the sham that is amateurism you know zion williamson who's been you know crammed down our throats for three months in in college basketball and it was just i'm glad he's okay i'm glad the injury wasn't more serious but the debate is about what he should do is just kind of ridiculous to me like the kid should do whatever he wants to do if he wants to continue playing fine if he doesn't want to risk it then fine you know, there's been a lot of talk about this is, you know, what's wrong with the NCAA and amateurism. And I agree with some of that stuff. Don't, don't get me wrong. You know, players getting no money for the millions they bring in doesn't sit right with me. But to me, this is more an indictment of the NBA and the one and done rule. Because there's no reason for Zion Williamson to be playing college basketball. And yeah, maybe he's he's elevated himself to be the number one pick. But if you had a choice, wouldn't he rather have been the number seven pick and be making a few million dollars this year 
than being that's a year of earning potential you don't ever get back. You never get back this year. Yeah, like twelve million or so is what he would yeah. have signed for. And I think he'd rather have that. That's a good then, point because it's a common misconception that the NCAA is is the reason for the one and done. It is actually right, the no, no. NBA Players Association in their collective bargaining agreement that forces the age of entry into the NBA at 19. There was thought because we talked about this on this show before that ah the one and done's kind of silly. Maybe they need to change it. Last night just heightened that to the point where, according to Nicole Auerbach of the Athletic, the NBA, the the league front office has submitted to the Players Association, who formulated the one-and-done to begin with, a proposal that will lower the draft-eligible age to 18, ending the one-and-done. That, that was the, the biggest thing here, was when I saw that happen, Nike and the brutality for that company aside, um, that was the big thing for me, was if this doesn't make you realize... That college basketball and the way it's set up with the one and done, even though that is the Players Association of the NBA's fault, the the current setup of college basketball is wrong. Because a guy like Zion Williamson, who, I mean, he, he wasn't the number one pick in last year's draft, wouldn't have been, but he would have been selected in the draft lottery and would be sitting on millions of dollars of life changing money right now, playing in a big city against LeBron James and Giannis and Joel Embiid and all these guys every night getting all the endorsements he could in the world, but instead, because of this arbitrary rule, he has to he's forced, basically, to go to college, and his reward is a semester and a half of basic-level classes that he doesn't want to take anyway and some free food and super cool Nike gear from Duke. It's not right that everybody else in the situation gets to make millions except for the kid, but that is not the NCAA's fault. And that needs to be changed as soon as humanly possible because guys like Zion Williamson don't gain anything despite what people in the USA Today write from going to Duke. He would be gaining more if there wasn't a dumb rule in place that forced him to go to college instead of playing in Phoenix right now. Well, in total fairness, there are other options. None that are better than college basketball. You make money, and you make pretty good money playing in the Euro League. You can, but as a, as an eighteen year old kid from upstate South Carolina, are you really emotionally, mentally prepared to pick up and move to France, where nobody speaks your language, and I, I don't know if they do or not? Drive on the other side of the road, where you can't communicate with anybody, you can't drive, you don't know what signs say. It's it's the it makes the most sense. It's most practical for these elite players to stay in the United States and play in college, because although I am very pro pay the player, or at least allow them to benefit off their name and likeness, college basketball is still a pretty good life. And when you go to Duke, you get coached by a legend. You play in front of a packed arena every night. Life's pretty good as a Duke basketball player. So it's the best option, if you want to stay in the States, for these elite prospects. Probably their only option, viable option, but it shouldn't be. And I'm glad the NBA is going to step in, or is trying to step in and fix it. 
It's, it's, it feels like it's been a long time coming. I, I've, I just never understood the, the one-and-done rule. I like what baseball does. You can come out of high school, but if you go to college, you're three years. I like what football does because I there is no high school football player ready to go straight. I mean, maybe one in a million. Maybe Adrian Peterson could have done it. But there's far fewer. For basket yeah, yeah. But for basketball, and it's been proven, I mean, the best player in the NBA is the one to done one and done guy. He was great from day one with, with Cleveland. So it's 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 been proven to work in the past. There's no reason not to do it, and I've I never I never understood it. I never liked it, and, and here we are, Rippy. Yeah, I mean I don't like the one and done rule. I I don't. Yeah, it, like it, it seems like multiple like all these things can be true at once. Like, is this amateurism thing a sham? Yeah, absolutely. But to act like college basketball is this like like terrible option to get to the NBA, I don't think that's entirely true either it's not because so, it, it's it's worked and their their lives are good it's not bad being a college basketball player no it's not at all like it, particularly at a school like a duke or a kentucky or a michigan state or something like that so i mean i think the probably the simplest answer to this is is what this i think the news just broke that they're making the proposal to try to move it back to 18 so yeah i i, I don't know i i, th- I don't I don't think it's totally like I don't think people are, are being a little disingenuous with the fact that like the kid has one injury and now it's blow the whole thing up. Like that seems like a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, and there's only a handful of players that are really and truly good enough to be one and done. Right. So this right. wouldn't there, apply to a lot of what people. What happened? We were talking about this a couple months ago about the was it was it an NBA sponsor thing or something where they were talking about setting some money aside for the top prospects to play in a developmental league. Whatever happened with that? That was an well, the NCAA wants to get into AAU ball, but they are asking (laughs) the NBA to get involved with it somehow, even though they never really volunteered their services. Wasn't what Haydad's thinking of a LeVar Ball thing? Oh, he did that and didn't pay anybody. There was something else. I remember talking about it. Text us, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. We'll continue on this next because the implications of something like this are potentially big. Or do you fall in the middle kind of like we do? It's They need to solve this problem, but the problem isn't as bad as some people are making it out to be. We'll continue on this next. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Continuing on with this Zion Williamson thing from last night, the implications of it more so than the injury itself. Anthony tweets at us and says he may have dreamed it, but didn't the NBA pass a rule a while back that next year certain high schoolers can sign free agent deals to the G League if they don't want to go to college? Yeah, they can go to the G League. Uh, That is an option for them, but... As it's currently set up, it's not a viable one. The the G League does not provide enough for these players for them to go there instead of to go to these elite colleges. And don't forget, we're talking about five to ten kids at most that are actually good enough as high school seniors to play their next season in the NBA. 
it's not a wide, widespread thing. There's only a handful of guys that are that are true and good enough to be one and dones. So just a handful of guys, and for right now, college is three their of them best are on option. The same team. Yeah, Duke has three of them. I'm trying. To, I'm looking at last year's top twenty-four. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Recruits for uh, for basketball. I mean, and you're right. It's maybe five guys that that would have that would have done this. I mean, just just not a lot. We get a couple questions here on the text line. Here's one from the 601. Do one and duns have to pay anything back to the college? The reason I don't like it is because it keeps another player from getting a scholarship. Once they leave, the scholarship is free for that school to use. So, like Zion Williamson's a one and done, right? Next year, his scholarship is then freed up for Duke to use on somebody else. So he is not... Him being a one-and-done is not taking a scholarship away from somebody else. They're just using that one scholarship for one year, and a different player will be able to use that next year. It's not like one scholarship is good for four years and they can't give that to everybody else. Once he Scholarships leaves, aren't good for four years anyway. They're all one-year deals. Yeah, but once once he leaves, it frees Duke up to, to go give that to somebody else. So one-and-dones aren't robbing uh, guys from scholarship opportunities. Uh, they just are given to a new guy once the one-and-done leaves. My thing is here, I guess I fall in the middle, and that's not the best thing to be in this business, but when you're talking, moving on to the next layer, whether or not he should continue playing. And this is, like Rippy said, in the segment before this, this is where all the hot takes come out, right? The, these morning shows where everybody yells at each other. Uh, this is perfect for them because they can scream about this for the next two weeks. If the kid wants to play, who am I to tell him he shouldn't? And if the kid doesn't want to play, I've never been faced with a decision that will change my grandchildren's life financially. So who am I to say that he should play? I think he should do whatever he thinks is best for him and his future, and nobody really should question it. Because either way, as long as he's making the decision, I think we should all be good with it. And that's where this gets weird, because there were people trying to suggest that he stop playing before he got hurt and sit out the rest of the season. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's you know, as coming, As soon as he emerged, that it's like, oh, wait, he's, he's obviously the number one pick. Shut it down. And kids like him, and he's been quoted about it a lot, he's too competitive to just shut it down for no reason. I mean, even Bosa at Ohio State, who didn't finish the year with Ohio State, even though he probably could have, got hurt and had surgery. So he didn't rush back into college football post-surgery, but he's the only example I can think of uh, of a guy that just stopped playing midseason to focus on the draft. This is not like players skipping bowl games. And I was reminded of this on Twitter last night, and it's absolutely right. The NCAA tournament is not like the Liberty Bowl. I fully support players not playing in the Liberty Bowl or the Cheez-It Bowl or whatever because those games literally don't matter. Bowl games don't matter. Players like to play in them, yes. Fans enjoy going to them, yes. But the outcome of the game does not impact anything one way or the other. 
unless it's the college football playoff or an access bowl. The NCAA tournament is the national championship. That's what you're playing for. So you're not going to have, as I saw argued last night, you're not going to have this slippery slope of guys that are choosing not to play in the NCAA tournament because that is the national championship. That's not going to happen. Guys aren't going to make the tournament and decide, you know what, hey, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to compete for a title. It's completely different. And that, that goes, goes for football, too, in terms of, like, I don't think anybody has sat out a college football playoff game yet, and I don't think they will. It'll never so, happen unless they get yeah, hurt. Th- that, this is something that people who – they don't like the players sitting out. So they try to – they and there's a logical fallacy. We're going, we've talked a lot, a lot of logic this week on the show. But there's, it's where you – is it a straw man argument? I, I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for or not where – well, this happened, so now the worst-case scenario could possibly happen. What do you think of that? And, and, and it's just not, it, it's sort of like we were just talking about in the, in the previous segment where somebody throws something on the court and they call a technical, and now we're, we're trying to figure out what happens if some clever fan decides I'm going to chunk something on the court in the final moments going <laughs> forward. It's, just, it's unlikely, it, 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 and it's probably never going to happen. Are there really that many people that care about people skipping bowl games, or is it 20 anonymous Twitter accounts who feel like the kid is, like, insulting their cultish fan base to a school? Like, there are there really that many people that care? There are. and uh, There are a lot of people that care. I can't think of a Mississippi example of that happening just yet. Yeah, because, you know, all the state guys played. Um, and, I mean, it's such a new phenomenon I'm not. I'm not taking a shot, but Ole Miss hasn't played in a bowl since it started. No, happening. and you're right. It, they haven't. So, so I, Rippy, you'd. I think you would be surprised on how many people would care deeply about their player, what they would think is quitting on their team. And these are the same people that, if a same player got cut from the team, they would just say, "Well, the coach obviously knows something we don't," and you know they. It's all about what's best for the fan sometimes. Yeah. And I, I fully understand that as well. I mean, you people, you people just absolutely, I mean, you, what do you, mean, would, you people? would live and die for your teams. So I get it. But in this case, I, I don't think he can make an incorrect decision. I really don't. Right. And, and I just hope he makes whatever one he's comfortable with. If he does not feel comfortable coming back and playing, all good. And everybody should support that, in my opinion. Because unless you've been faced with a tens of millions of dollar decision, you, you can't talk about commitment to his team or whatever. Especially when his compensation package is designed to just be classes that he doesn't care to be in in the first place. I, I have always believed... The one and dones, they have to stop going to class as soon as the spring semester starts, right? Like, what, they just stay eligible, you know, through the fall. And then when January run roll, one rolls around, they're done. They're done going to class. For sure. I would be. Any more thoughts, Rippy? No, I mean, I think we, I think we just about hit it unless y'all want to scream at each other about whether he should play or not play. Let's do it. I'm all in for that. 
We can call it undisputed. Look here, Michael Borgie. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It is ri- ridiculous that this is happening. That's my best Stephen A. I actually kind really of like his really radio quiet. show. Yeah. I do find it funny, though, that their show, called Undisputed, is literally them for three hours disputing each other. Like 90% of the time is disputing LeBron James and Michael Jordan. <laughs> how does that not get tiresome? Like, how do you not lose sanity? I cannot imagine. And maybe they are just going insane, and but the way they act on television kind of looks like they are. Very true. We'll turn the page to, to some Major League Baseball talk next. I, I will say it's... I hope they, the NBA Players Association passes this deal because I do not like the practice of a guy like Zion Williamson potentially damaging his career playing in a game in which the only compensation he gets, like I said, is one year of college, which does nothing for you, where he could be making millions. But he's not allowed to right now. So I hope they change that. And it's an NBA thing, not an NCAA thing. So if they if this passes and they make it through, it's the perfect solution to this problem, and all sides should be happy. We'll turn to baseball next. It's Sports Talk in the Renaissance Bank Studio. In the flashing blue lights. A couple of texts I want to get to first before we move on to the baseball thing. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Riffey with you. We were talking about the Zion Williamson thing and the implications from that. David and Soche says it should be called one half and done. That made me laugh. <laughs> but but here's another text that we got. And it was in response to Rippy's question about why fans get upset with players skipping what is generally meaningless bowl games. And we get these two texts from the same guy in the 601. It said, it's always about what's best for the fan. Regardless of sport, that's where the money comes from. He continues to say, Zion's mom didn't pay three to $10,000 per ticket to watch that game. Dumb three-letter expletive. The fans did. Well, guess what? The player doesn't owe you anything. Not a damn thing. So, like... That doesn't even make any sense. That's such a false equivalent to make me lose brain cells. So, like, I mean, they don't owe you anything. He's right. At all. You're right. I mean, you're right is what I'm trying to say. Especially when the fans that – see, this is where I get into – and I don't want to do this today, so so we'll wrap it up after this, I promise. We won't go down this rabbit hole. But the people that say pay the players because they get nothing lose that argument immediately because that's not true. They get education, and even though one and done's, that education is useless. A semester and a half in college, entry-level classes, is completely useless, but they still get it, and they get to live in nice dorms and get fed and get training and, and all of that stuff. They get things, but it's capped at that. And so Duke has people giving money, and people were spending $10,000 to watch that game last night, and he doesn't get a dime of that money that they made on tickets, of the, the ad revenue that ESPN made on that game. 
the third highest rated regular season college basketball game in history, and the guy that got hurt playing it gets nothing for it. So, yeah, the fans paid money to, to get in, but the kid doesn't owe the fans anything because they don't give him anything. Yes, and Boy Genius on the text line is arguing that Zion Williamson should play because the, the fans spent a bunch of money on a ticket to go to a game. Woo boy, that's special. And Gary Marie says, what happens when fans quit buying tickets and other stuff? They won't. When, when is that going to happen? They, they never yeah, that will. is never going to happen, ever. And as long as there are sports, fans are going to show up to watch. Well, that and Zion, if he didn't get hurt, was going to play the entire season. So the only question here is if he continues to play after he got injured, his knee got injured. If he finishes this season healthy, he has life-changing money for his grandchildren, let alone himself. And he hurt his knee because a shoe exploded, and he should just, if he decides not to play, that is not wrong. Until you've been faced with a decision that will change the lives of your children's children financially, I don't think that you are in position to tell this kid what he should do. But let's move on to baseball, because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today. A couple of you texting in are, uh, are saying that uh, you want us to move to baseball, so we're going to do that now. I wanted to get to this yesterday. We just ran out of time. I got a couple of Major League Baseball guys with me. I, I'm just a casual MLB fan. I don't know the intricacies like these two do. Manny Machado signed with the San Diego Padres, a small market team, for $300 million. And I've got a few questions for Hey Dad and Rippy about what this means for baseball. First of all, Bryce Harper is still unsigned despite string, spring training going on right now. Where will he end up and for how much? It's the Phillies and no one else at this point. It's just a question of how much. I mean, you I guess it's, it's possible. Simple? Yes, I, I do at this point. I mean, I guess it's possible another team jumps in there, but it seems like Philadelphia is the only organization willing to spin what Bryce Harper wants to get or anywhere in the neighborhood. That could change, but for the last week and a half, it's pretty much been Philadelphia and just a matter of when and how much. Yeah, it, it, it feels like... There are a lot of teams that are interested, but they, they're not going to commit. They're not going to commit this kind of money to one guy. And, and part of me gets that because you could probably get two and maybe even three very good pieces for the price of, of one Bryce Harper. But Bryce Harper brings more than just what he brings at the plate in the field to your franchise. So, you know, the Giants have – been in discussion, and I've obviously been keeping up with that, but I agree with Rippy that it it looks like the Phillies, who have suddenly become this big market team. I mean, they were in the Machado stuff, and, and now, you know, they're, they're, they're hot after Bryce Harper. When for years, I mean, when did the what was the last big free agent signing the, the Phillies made? And I mean big. I mean, Doc I remember Holiday. them going after Cliff Lee in 2010, but I, I, that may have been a trade. I mean, when was the last time they they just signed a guy. Well, they signed Jake Arrieta last offseason. Okay. Well, then I'm stupid. <laughs> You're not. Well, no, I wasn't. I didn't mean it. Like, I mean, that's not a huge one. But, like, it, right. they, the reason but, I mean, they've acquired. They, they went they be, after the top guy. But the reason they've become such big players is because they've accrued so much cap space from tanking. 
Yeah. My next question to that is, the NBA does a lot of things right. One of them is free agency. It's a big deal, big drama. Baseball does not have that. But this offseason, even though it took them forever to sign, you at least have something. We had shocking Major League Baseball news. Well, shocking is, is a bit of a stretch, but big-time Major League Baseball news in February, and that doesn't happen very often. And we're going to have another round of big-time Major League Baseball news in February. One, is this good for baseball? I have a feeling it's an easy answer. But two, do you think there's a way or an incentive for them, for Major League Baseball, to make this more common in the off-seasons, to, to make baseball a more nationally relevant sport, even in its off-season, the same way that the NFL and the NBA have? It's such a tough question. I don't know what MLB has to do to to be relevant the way it was back when, even when I was a kid. I mean, baseball was huge, even 20 years ago. And I don't know a lot of people want to point to the strike, as that's where it sort of changed for baseball. And then when they did come back, you had the steroid thing happen. So to answer your question, I don't I don't know. It, it really matters what kind of off-season drama MLB drums up, I don't know that it can be done. Put a five- or six-year cap on contract length in terms of years. No, why would they do that? It would incentivize teams to spend money because you're not committing a decade's worth of money, you know, like in Machado's situation, $30 million a year for 10 years. We were talking about this the other day. You wouldn't sign Anthony Davis to a 10-year deal. You probably wouldn't sign Giannis to a 10-year deal because so much can happen in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, you probably it's would not have signed mi- LeBron 10 years ago to a 10-year deal, but he would have been the only one. Maybe Durant. I mean, the, the absolute top guys in basketball – and in football, you would never do it. You only give those kind of deals to quarterbacks. Well, even then, I mean, I mean, maybe nowadays that the quarterbacks are being protected the way they are. But ten years ago, I mean, Brady did Brady sign a ten-year deal? You know, ten years ago, he was still the top QB in the game. He doesn't have a ten-year deal. So, is what happened this off-season with Machado and with Bryce Harper? Is this good for the game or does it matter? I mean, I don't think it's necessarily good. I think they're probably exploring ways to fix it. And another part of it is is teams aren't necessarily incentivized as much to spend money because players are so tightly controlled by the team and make so little money in their rookie, like their first leg contracts. Like that's why you see guys sent down to the minor leagues for the first two weeks. Like when prospects yeah. are ready to be called up to the big leagues, they're sent down to the minor leagues for the first two weeks, three weeks of the season, so they have an, so the team has another year of control under over them. So you know, until players get more money and more power in their first contract, then teams aren't going to be incentivized to spend money because you see tanking works, and then you kind of have your window with a bunch of young guys before you have to pay all of them. Is this why there are people in baseball, specifically baseball media, that are predicting a strike in, what is it, 2021? That's a big part of it. Let me go through the strike again. Here we go. I I mean, I, I have a feeling that professional baseball players sit back and watch 
random. The NBA players did this exactly right. They have the most control in sports, and they get the most money. So they sit back and watch these average dudes that nobody's ever heard of have $20 million a year contracts in the NBA and think, my team is barely spending that for the entire roster. I'm going to continue asking these guys more questions. I'm interested in this, in the future of baseball on this front. Because I've cared about Major League Baseball in February for the first time maybe in my entire life. So we'll continue on this. Some of your texts have come in as well. We'll get to those. It's Sports Talk Mississippi live in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Thursday afternoon. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. It's great to be here. Great to be with you. Sun did not come out today, but hopefully it will this weekend because we've got some baseball on the schedule. Mississippi State and Southern Miss will do battle this weekend. Ole Miss is going down to New Orleans to play Tulane. I wonder if Mike Bianco is a big parade guy, and that's why he scheduled that series this weekend. We're going to lean no. <laughs> Until Next availability, you need to ask. Yeah, hey, Coach, you plan on going to any parades this weekend? The stare that you will get. He's from Louisiana, get. right? Yeah, but... He is from Florida. Well, he went to uh, LSU. He went to LSU, though. Yeah, I mean... Ten bucks I'll give you if you ask Mike Bianco if he's a big parade guy. I'll put five in on that. All right, we'll see how that goes. I'll be sure to video it. <laughs> That's what I got. You got the tripod. Use the tripod. <laughs> um... I saw, after this Machado stuff, I saw the owner of the Pirates when asked about why they didn't enter the fold and why they're not willing to spend more money, and he basically said he doesn't control it. So the players don't have any control. The owners are claiming they don't have any control. What does Major League Baseball need to do about that? Owners not willing to spend money to field competitive rosters and players disgruntled about the owners not willing to spend money to field competitive rosters. Tank tax. That's the way to do it? Seemed the most logical. So, you know, they have a luxury tax. Do we also have a poverty tax, basically? If you're not spending X, we're going to tax you? Yeah, I mean, Not only a salary cap, but a salary minimum. Yeah, a ceiling and a floor. It would have to be over multiple years, though, because you you probably I agree. It probably wouldn't be completely fair to just say, "Hey, you didn't spend X amount of money over one right. year." Right. I mean, you have a year because tanking is not a one year process. Right. Like the Dodgers, if they have a year where where Kershaw gets hurt and and a couple other players get hurt, and they have a bad year, they're not tanking. But over three years, if you're averaging less than seventy five wins a year. Something's well, up. Well, I don't think it's necessarily a win and loss thing. I was talking about from a payroll perspective. No, I agree with what you're saying, but you talk about tank. When I think about tanking, I think about wins and losses. So if I see a team that's not spending a lot of money and they're not winning, I, I could put that two and two together. So, but it's worked. So how do you how do you tell these teams if you're Major League Baseball not to do this when it worked for Houston? Yeah. That's, that's, it's not only like worked for Houston, it worked for the Cubs. Yeah. It's worked. I mean, it's worked plenty of places. I mean, the only, And now it's working the, for Philadelphia. 
Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, they, they were in the NL East discussion last year, and this year they'll probably be you know, right there with the Braves as the favorites, and the Nationals are still there, but... Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to do something to incentivize them to spend money to win on a year in and year out basis. Because you have, you have a, you have over a third of the league just not even pretending to try at this point, and they're not even spending the money just, to do it. Yeah, they're just they're they're comfortable, they're happy. You know, they're in the wild card discussion every year, and that that's good enough. Well, that's, that's at least trying to win. That I'm speaking more towards the 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 sixty win teams that you run out their roster and payroll on opening day, and you know they're going to lose a hundred games in April. Basically, the AL Central is what you're talking about. I mean, yeah, basically. Except, I mean, the White Sox tried to get in on the Machado sweepstakes. The Twins have really? really tried. Oh, their I mean, GM yeah, they, was fired up about not winning. He said yeah, their but, offer, in some cases, was better than the one he took to go to San Diego. I think he took it based on the city and the weather. Because, I mean, yeah, they were they did everything they could to get him. He just essentially chose San Diego. Which makes a ton of sense, by the way. Yeah, I mean, sure. San Diego versus Chicago. Play for Chicago's redheaded stepchild or go to San Diego and live for $300 million over the next decade? It's a tough one. People forget that the White Sox won a World Series. And when I say people, I mean like ESPN listed the city of Chicago's championship drought and completely forgot that the White Sox existed and didn't put their their World Series on there. The most boring and least watched World Series maybe ever. White Sox and Astros. We'll turn the page to football next. There's a story out of the Big Ten. Something that I talk a good bit about, especially in the offseason. It's a perfect offseason story. But the Big Ten is beating the SEC in one thing. Just one thing. In regards to college football. We'll tell you what that is next. I'm sure we'll have a spirited debate on this one as well. It's Sports Talk Mississippi, live in the Renaissance Bank studio. an update on Zion Williamson as we begin the 5 o'clock hour at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming live at supertalk.fm. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Riffey with you. So a lot was made of that injury last night, and I mean, I guess I'm guilty of that as well. He is officially been diagnosed with a grade 1 right knee sprain. He's progressing as expected, and his status is day-to-day. So really good news for Zion. And based on interviews in the past, it sounds like he's going to to give it a shot and play the rest of the year out, Uh, which, good for him. If that's what he wants to do, I am hoping that this and the the high-profile nature of this leads to the elimination of the one-and-done. But for now, at least we get to breathe a sigh of relief that the future number one draft pick in the NBA draft did not lose anything, really, uh, because of a busted Nike shoe last night and the North Carolina game. That's why you miss using Adidas school. Just, oh, is that why? That's that's not, not why. But it's funny. 
Especially now that he's not actually hurt. Yeah, now that he's okay. I mean, what an awful night for Nike. Are you kidding me? I bet they were sitting up. Where's their corporate office? Is it still in, in Oregon? Portland? It's in or, Oregon, yeah. Yeah. Sitting up at their corporate office. They know that these two teams are wearing our gear. And this is a huge night because we got the number one player in the country and two top five teams and the, the third biggest audience to watch a college basketball regular season in the history of the sport. They had their feet up. They were smoking cigars, maybe having a couple sips of bourbon. And then Sion's shoe explodes and he falls down with a knee injury. It happens. Did you see the, what was worse was all the brands on Twitter, like Puma, saying, oh, oh, wouldn't have happened in our shoes. On Twitter, the kid could have torn an ACL, could have never played basketball again. But brand awareness. That's what happens when you give your social media to a new college graduate. Yeah, Rippy. Have we yeah, taken I Twitter don't. away from him yet? <laughs> Please do. Um, but I saw Ravel was all over the fact that Nike's stock dropped because one guy blew out of his shoe. Doesn't seem that significant. No, it's not going to drop. Hey, he might end up. No. He might end up signing with Nike for a lot more. Darren Ravel on on Dan Patrick today said that uh, Nike just needs to offer him a few million more and make the deal happen because of the irony of the shoe breaking. I just don't understand how that happens. Maybe he's just so powerful that their shoes well, aren't built. There was a picture going around of him maybe a week or two ago where he was he had the basketball in his hand. He was holding it so tight it actually dented the ball. So he obviously has freakish strength. Strength. His strength is his strength. Let's put that to bed for now and uh, turn around and talk some college football. This is the College Football Fix, brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Go out and test drive one today. It's worth it. The best-selling truck in almost four decades now, the F-150. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Let's talk Big Ten football, but only because they do something that is better than the SEC. It's a very off-season topic, but it's February, and we've got to talk football here, so let's do that. This comes from a NJ.com, NewJersey.com story, that Rutgers University is doing their fans a big favor considering how bad they are on the football field and serving alcohol stadium-wide to any level of tickets this upcoming season and beyond. Rutgers University, which again, if you're going to suffer through Rutgers football, you might as well get drunk while doing it, but that's besides the point. That's the only way to watch Rutgers football. Who watches that sober? Who watches it at all, really, when it comes down to it? But, But here's the thing. So Rutgers now has become, I believe, the 51st team to offer full-scale alcohol sales in their stadium for at least football, most of them for multiple sporting events. The SEC has a blanket ban against the sale in general admission areas for SEC football games. I got an easy fix for that. Start to sell it? No. Bourbon is free. Cokes are $15. 
Yeah, I guess. But but here's here's what I'm getting at. Number one, I think the most important thing, truly, is safety. And Rutgers cited in this story multiple studies from these other 50 schools that already do this, Ohio State and Texas being two major ones. West Virginia was kind of the pioneer of this. And they have found through extensive study, I'm not making this up, through extensive study, backed in fact, that when a college football program has served beer in their stadiums, incidents of arrest, hospital visits, alcohol-related trouble behavior, ejections from the stadium, and so on and so forth, have dramatically decreased. Alcohol-related arrests, incidents, stadium ejections, hospital visits have dropped dramatically in those places where they serve beer inside of the stadium at college football games. And number two, revenue. Ohio State made $1.3 million profit on the sale of beer in their stadium last year. Purdue is making over $500,000 a year in net profit selling beer in their stadium. Why the SEC has not noticed that, realized it, taken these studies, and understood that having a beer in the stadium is far better than pounding liquor before you walk through the gates or sneaking in a flask of whiskey on top of the insane revenue that it would drive for the league and its member institutions is beyond me. I cannot figure out why they have not gotten ahead of everybody else on this because they're getting beat by Rutgers now. And man, don't forget, there's plenty of liquor being consumed in the stadiums that's that's not illicit in the premium seating. You know, you show up on Friday with, you know, as much liquor as you want, put it in your locker and drink it, nobody says a word to you. It makes sense, too, like as Borky pointed out, because like in terms of the data that Rutgers cited, because you're not having you know, guys sticking you know, water bottles full of liquor and just dumping it into a stadium cup and drinking until you can't stand like beer, like seeming the beer and wine and being able to go to the concession stand, like seemingly tempers things a bit. And Luke and Flowood is right. People aren't binge drinking before the game. And we've talked about this before. I've brought this up before. It's something that, for some reason, I'm kind of passionate about. Just because I think that the SEC does a lot of things right when it comes to, to marketing football. The rollout of the SEC network was, was television perfection, right? Where have they come up short in the SEC network at all? It was perfect. I can't think of one thing they did wrong or they had every provider. It was in every household in their footprint and it was easily accessible for everybody outside of it. It's making a ton of money. And when you look at the way the ACC's done it, the Pac-12 is losing money almost on their television network that nobody can find. The Big 12 is tied to Texas and some obscure deals with Fox. It was perfect. The SEC has done everything right except for this, and the revenue that that Ole Miss and Mississippi State could be driving, I cannot believe there's not more advocation for this, especially because now we have data that shows that it is safer to do it 
as opposed to being hush-hush, turning a blind eye, and letting people shove whiskey down their pants in order to make it through the game. I, you know, the SEC, man, I mean, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but how much does the religion in this area, you know, I, you're probably you're right. Do with that? I'm sure it's a factor, and there are going to have to be some some state laws that would change in there as well. But I'm just throwing a. What do you think, InBev, the owner of basically every major brewery in the United States? Isn't it InBev, the Belgian company? Anyway. What Anheuser-Busch would pay to be the official beer of SEC football? The official beer. That would be a billion-dollar contract over however many years. A billion-dollar contract. And the SEC is letting Rutgers and Purdue beat them on this, and I am just completely shocked that they're doing it. Because the revenue would be insane, especially here. The atmospheres would probably get a little bit better as well. You think? I think they might be a little tamer because of what we talked about. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. on that previous conversation before we move on. We'll go to the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Also got a couple of tweets as well. Cody and Tupelo said it's hard to get alcohol in its state now. It's like TSA pat downs, boots off at football games, or maybe I just look suspicious. Get a text from the 601 that says the underage will continue to do so and are typically the problem areas. Yeah, and the thing is they already do. And if you're doing it within the stadium, you will presumably have police or some kind of trained security checking identifications, and it will be just fine. But you're never stopping 19-year-old college students from getting drunk before football games. No matter what you do, it's going to happen. And I know that sounds cynical or whatever, but that's just how it is. It's just how it is. Luke and Flowood says, we're making too much common sense, but we have to remember it hasn't been too long when you couldn't buy cold beer in Starkville or in Oxford. When I was in school, you couldn't buy cold beer, but you could buy cold Jägermeister. I Ugh. never got that. <laughs> like, That's really sending we, the message. Like, I mean, <laughs> you can, don't you dare have a beer, son. But shotgun that Jägermeister down to the second E. Go. Borky, that really kind of affected you, too, right? Because the new law came into effect and all the gas stations started getting coolers like six weeks after I got to college. Yeah, I had to, to deal with that. And there was no Sunday sales when I was in school, either. Uh, yeah. Darren and Jackson Same asks, why, why do they advertise alcohol on TV and radio? Because they like money and they like safe money. I guess. It's hard to argue with that one. Yeah. I like money. Mark in Clarksdale makes a good point. He says he thinks the smaller schools are looking for revenue any way they can to try to keep up with the big boys. That's that's very true, especially in a place like the Big Ten. Even though Ohio State does it, Michigan, for example, does not. And 
Purdue but they getting, probably aren't far off. They're not far off, especially because Ohio State does it. But Purdue's got to get an edge and an extra 600k a year in net sales without a sponsor, by the way. So that's just from sales. That's not with some local in-state brewery giving them a million bucks a year to sell theirs exclusively. That's just from sales in the stadium. So uh, there's still an opportunity there. And you know, you hear Luke like. Luke Johnson came on the other day, and this may not be a good example, but talking about how they're struggling to get crowds at basketball games, don't you think that would spike if you like they served beer in the arena? Yeah, and let's be honest here. We love baseball. We love baseball in the state of Mississippi. I'm not taking away from that. But what are the attendance numbers in Oxford and in Starkville if you couldn't sit in the outfield and have a drink? Less. They're still good, but they're not near as good. I mean, in reality... You can sort of pin the the great attendance state has, and then that Ole Miss has. It, it sort of came from the outfield in. You know, they were yeah. getting good crowds, but when the it exploded, when people decided, hey, well, let's bring our trucks out there and tailgate and and have some have some cold ones. Yeah, you go out there and then you develop a love for it. And Nick uh, on the Sports Talk Twitter page says it could put more butts in seats. Ole Miss is a prime example of where this would increase season ticket sales. Yeah. It, the at-home experience is getting a lot better. That's also something we talk about all the time. Uh, big TVs, you can get a 55-inch television for $300 right now. And How's that thing, by the way? Yeah, have you pulled the trigger on a television yet? I did. It's spectacular. Yeah, I say you bought it a couple weeks ago, didn't you? I did, and I, I'm so glad that we saved to make that purchase. I'm pumped. Uh, I thought you balked on it. No, I, I, I got it. Oh, nice. Dollar Natty Light for midweek baseball games. <laughs> that, that could probably get dangerous. I mean, they do dollar hot dogs and dollar popcorn, dollar beer. Ooh. Yeah, and somebody points out there's, I mean, there's breweries oh, in the state of Mississippi that I promise you would would pay to to get in on that. And we also, Luke and Flowood says Millsaps at their football games they have a beer garden. There's really? ways to do wow. it. Well, you know LSU has a has a new premium seating area where they're selling beer at Alex Box this year. But it's in right field, isn't it? Yeah, it, because it's premium seating or something. There's a loophole that the university isn't technically selling it in the stadium. But you can go have a beer at Alex Box. Good for A&M them. A and M has a beer garden too, don't they? I'm I'm almost positive they do. Maybe. California's got to be a similar situation, though, where it's not technically in the stadium. Hey, I'm just saying that there are there are ways to do it. We had one text that suggested that if beer sales were made legal in SEC stadiums, that you would lose season ticket holders. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't realize that everybody around you that wants to be consuming alcohol at these games already is and if you're just missing it that's great but everybody that wants to already is go to the bathroom at at an SEC football game and look at the mini bottles all over the bathroom just empty ones people are doing it there's a way to make it safer and this is a proven with data to back it up at multiple places that shows that it is safer ultimately 
It's a good point. The crushed up water bottles in the bathroom did not have water in them either. No. I used to, I can remember, you know, you'd lease, it was Scott Field back then, and uh, just airplane bottles everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, so the, the point we're making here is they're already doing it. It's already happening. And unless the decision makers, the powers that be, never actually sit amongst us common folk and never actually sit in the stadiums to realize it, they're missing a huge financial opportunity here by making their games safer. So, can't believe Rutgers and Purdue are ahead of the SEC on something, but nevertheless, here we are. Let's turn the page. You guys brought up baseball, so let's talk baseball. We have um, a pretty significant weekend slate, especially here in the state of Mississippi. So Mississippi State and Southern Miss in Starkville this weekend. Hey, Dad, what are you watching for there? Because Southern Miss is Chris Limonis' first real test, obviously, as the head coach at Mississippi State. So uh, what do you expect to see from him and his team? Well, I mean, I expect this to be like an SEC kind of weekend in terms of the intensity. I mean, in reality, it could be like a postseason, like a super regional kind of weekend. I wish the weather was great because we would have big crowds up here uh, this weekend. I, I think you might be over 10,000, 12,000 if the weather was good. As it is, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't know what games are going to get played. I don't think they're going to be able to play on Saturday. Last I checked, it was a 100% chance of rain. I think tomorrow it's around 70-80%. Might end up playing a doubleheader on Sunday, and that might be it. But for Mississippi State, I just want to see them swing the bat the way they did during the weekend and not yesterday. You know, three hits isn't going to win any games against USM. You'll, go, you'll get swept again. So they've got to find, you know, make sure they're consistent up there. I feel good about the starting pitching. I like Ginn. I like James. And Ethan Small, to me, is a very solid Friday night guy. I think he'll be a, a guy who does that all year. And I like what they've got in the bullpen, but they're going to have to score runs to beat USM. So what they did on, at the plate last weekend, they got to repeat that performance somehow. And Rippy Ole Miss at Tulane this weekend. They split with Wright State. Uh, didn't get a very good pitching performance in game two of that range-shortened series. Uh, no Friday night starter, I guess, for Ole Miss. So what's the shuffle going to be there? So it's going to go, basically Zach Phillips gets moved up a day to Friday night. Roth is inserted on Saturday, and they'll go Hoagland on Sunday. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they handle a, a bit of a pitching shakeup. Um, and, you know, they didn't, you know, Will Ethers pitched pretty well on Friday night last week, but Zach Phillips kind of struggled on Saturday. I didn't think he was terrible. He had some... He had a couple of errors in the first inning behind him, one of which was his, and then kind of some soft contact, and then his command slipped a little in the third, and it just kind of went downhill. So I'd kind of like seeing another sample size of what he has to offer, particularly from a stuff standpoint, will be interesting. And, and same thing with Hoagland, because he struggled a little bit in his two innings on Tuesday. So how they fare on the mound against Tulane will be interesting.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.